And for the scripture reading, today is taken from Matthew, chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. It's Matthew 24, 36 through 44. I'm reading from the NIV. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the, of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. We do not do very well at waiting. Waiting is one of the most difficult things for us. We struggle with our patience. And we also uh, want to be able to anticipate the things that are coming, but we don't always. And so uh, you've heard this word wait a number of times already this morning. And in fact, uh, when people are waiting or hesitant, it's because of the situation or the circumstances, and you don't know what those all are for other people. So we get impatient because we expect something we just don't take into consideration anybody else's perspective at times. The question that we have this morning is, is it worth the wait? Um, there are all kinds of different ways that we can, and things we can do in the process of waiting. But I want to begin with putting into context the idea that we don't always know what the, the other person's perspective is, and we don't always see what's behind the scenes. So we tend to assess the situation according to what we want and what we see. Now, there was a farmer who had a, he took a trucking company to court seeking reimbursement for damages suffered when his vehicle was hit by an 18-wheeler and injured him and his mule. And uh, his mule was named Bessie, and, under, and they went to court over it, and under cross-examination, the lawyer for the trucking company was uh, questioning him and said, did you or did you not tell the highway patrolman at the scene at the accident that you were fine? Well, yes, but he's, and then he stopped. And the judge ordered the farmer to finish his statement. So he did. He said, the patrolman came on the scene, and I could hear Bessie moaning and groaning 
So he went over to her, looked at her, took out his gun, and shot Bessie right between the eyes. Then he came across the road with his gun in his hand, and he looked at me and said, Your, your mule was in such bad shape I had to shoot her. How are you feeling? It was then that I said, Your Honor, I'm fine. How many times do we tend to say, Hey, how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. I won't say, but one person I already asked that this morning, you know, was very candid and honest about what they're struggling with. And, and maybe not specifically, but to say, you know, it's only so-so. Praise God for that honesty. If we're honest, most, much of the time we maybe aren't as good as we appear or portray to other people because we, we think that it's about kind of how we look when in fact we're tired and maybe some of us have been waiting for an answer to prayers for a long, long time. We live in a culture and a society that is based on instant gratification. I do not understand the kitchen. I will be the first to admit that. I appreciate it and what it produces, um, but uh, and the gifts of those that are very good, and I'm thankful to be married to one of those persons. Uh, but I don't fully understand uh, the kitchen. I do understand a microwave. And for most of us, you think about what was it like before the invention of the microwave oven. You had to wait so much longer to cook something or to get it done. But we live in, a, in an age and an era and in a specific society where every single day there's news stories about conflicts at even fast food restaurants or any restaurants because I want what I want when I want it and I want it the right way and, and with all the right fixings and if it isn't, I will get angry. And we have this pattern in our culture in which if someone doesn't agree with us or doesn't go along with what we say, we attack them and get angry and fight back or do something or at least give them the look. And we are very, very, very impatient. Patience is not the greatest virtue around. We have these words from scripture. Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That promise is one that we often sing as a praise song as well. That promise of saying, those who wait on the Lord. And what does that waiting mean? The Hebrew word for wait is, is kavah. And that word is interesting. It's more than just sitting around in a waiting area for an appointment. It's a fascinating meaning. Uh, it means entwining. As if 
like two pieces of rope were braided together in such a way and so bound around that you can hardly tell where one ends and the other begins because they're so entwined with each other that they form as if they are one. That kind of entwinement. And this entwinement uh, is, is something that in scripture is portrays being entwined with the Father's eyes, being entwined with uh, our whole being and our whole experience, being one with God. We've used that phrase. That entwinement is one in which we are so in tune with each other that there is strength and there is an ability to, to know that you're not alone and there is an ability to endure whatever is pulling on the rope. And so it means to entangle ourselves with God and entangle ourselves with God's goodness and to entangle ourselves with God's grace, to entangle ourselves in a way that we are strengthened and built up. G. Campbell Morgan, great theologian, said, Waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first, activity under command. Second, readiness for a new command that may come. And third, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. And that's what we struggle with. We want to do something. We want to make it happen quicker. We want to microwave everything. And so we don't have to wait near as much. It's interesting that this, this uh, verse that we sing in song, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, it comes in the 40th chapter of Isaiah. The name Isaiah itself is worth noting. The, the word name Isaiah means the Lord is salvation. And this theme resonates through all of the prophet's book. And let me just say a word about prophets. Talk about reason for impatience. You can see that even their patience wore thin. Moses got angry and threw down the tablets when the people couldn't wait themselves for longer than a few days. Uh, most of the prophets struggled with patience because of how quick people were to turn away from God. I mean, if we truly had a prophet among us today, what would they prophesy about our ability or desire to wait on the Lord? Um, the, the writing of Isaiah reflects an acknowledgement of God's sovereignty over his people and even the pagan nations. As well, it's a reminder that no one can be holy on their own strength and that we must wait on the Lord's provision. Now, so this, this timing comes and even the timing of Jesus comes after years and years of on and off captivity, the temple being broken down, and our entire Advent theme is about restoring. And that should fit for every one of us. So to stop for a second and say, what is it that we would like to have rebuilt in us? 
What is it that we would like to have restored? What is it that has created such a state of impatience and demand and upset over things not going our way, so much so that we can't have peace and we can't experience joy? Barnes notes on the Bible say this. The word rendered wait upon here, the word kava, which is for wait in scripture, denotes properly to wait in the sense of expecting something. See, that's what we don't do well. We expect it, but we expect it in our time and in our way. They go on to say the phrase is applicable also to those who feel weak and feeble, guilty, helpless, and who in the view of this put their trust in Yahweh. The call to wait is a call back to God. It is a call for us to basically expect and live in expectation. And I don't know if you do that. Do you... Do you experience that sense of, well, I can't do anything about it. You know, there's the, the, the prayer of serenity that talks about, uh, Lord, give me the, the courage to do the things I can. Give me uh, to the acceptance of the things that I can't change. And give me the wisdom to know the difference. And to know the difference between who God is and And who we are, that is probably the key thing. I'm not suggesting that I've heard any of you ever come to me and say, or any of us as leaders, and say, I am God. And I've never heard that. But my question would be for all of us, have we not been so impatient with God that we have demanded the action before we're willing to be in the relationship. We want the compliance of what we want and how we want it and when without the obedience, without the living relationship of finding other ways to please God. So there, there are four ways uh, quickly that I'm going to talk about that uh, are impacted by the struggles of waiting for an answer or waiting for things to get better. Better. Maybe it's a physical condition. Maybe it's a situation in the family or relationships. Maybe it's an issue with a neighbor or a conflict that you've had. Uh, But let's think about the ways that they're impacted. The first one is that struggles and troubles force us to reprioritize. We can use the opportunity. In fact, it forces us to say, Now, what is more important? If you see somebody in need, you are forced to say, now, which is my priority? My dentist appointment? Perhaps an unfair example. (laughs) Or helping, stopping and helping that person. I will tell you, I will always take the one of stopping to help the person. Any delay possible, no. Uh, it could be that I'm, I'm going to work at some project and something comes up. It's easier to be sidetracked away from that. But then my, I'm sitting there going, well, is it 
which is better? Which do I feel God saying? Should I stop and help this person? Or should I just go on and take care of what I need to get done today? Uh, it forces us to stop and think about that. And so waiting and the struggle of not having instant gratification forces us to reprioritize. Sometimes it gives us the opportunity to just simply rest and to regroup. Uh, but then the question is, is that because I've been running, you know, living with a healthy balance in my life? But a second uh, opportunity it gives is, is for um, the, uh, my potential to be increased. It may force me to dig deeper. Okay, and so, you know, the old adage, don't pray for patience. Because if you pray for patience, you're going to be given opportunities. If God answers that prayer, you're going to have more opportunities to be impatient and to struggle with it. Uh, you'll be waiting longer. Um, but it does. It increases our potential to be able to trust in God. And we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, but the potential, it increases my capacity to wait, increases my tolerance sometimes with people that don't function the way I do uh, and don't operate the way that I would operate. It increases, can increase my resourcefulness, which is another form of my potential. Um, I often think of the, you know, that's what has made the whole MacGyver series of TV shows is because of how resourceful he is with whatever's available. That guy can make anything out of about anything. Um, unfortunately, uh, that's really, there's only one person that can truly do that, which is God. Uh, but um, the potential can be increased. Productivity can be increased. Um, I work harder. If something isn't coming and I'm praying for it or waiting for it and it doesn't come, I wait but I probably also work harder at the things that I can do. Um, and, and also um, the, uh, the whole idea of perseverance. We know in Romans 5, 3 to 5, it says, not only uh, so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so in other words, I gain from that waiting time uh, and, and increase. Michael Jordan, you know, is probably the, one of the most famous and, and perhaps one of the best players ever in the NBA. Uh, he gave this insightful look into the incredible success that he enjoyed. He said this, he said, I've missed... More than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. So the, the benefit of waiting can increase my ability to succeed. And also our perspectives can change. Sometimes we react to things without really knowing what all is going on behind the scenes. 
And, and in fact, when we find out the true story, we tend to feel guilty or tend to, to say, well, I shouldn't have reacted that way because now I understand why they were doing what they were doing. We just don't know what other people have gone through. And so if we can under, and perhaps we even understand ourselves better in that process of waiting. We maybe confront some attitudes that we've had or ways that we've approached life or the ways that we've thought about other people and, and given that a second thought and backed up. And so our perspectives can also change. And so when we wait on the Lord, it is a waiting that indeed can be of worth. It can be valuable and it can actually help us and prepare us for something down the road. And so that's, uh, that's something. Psalm 40 says this, and I want to share these few verses from Psalm 40 because I think it helps us uh, illuminate this a bit more. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my foot on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord, and the Lord will put and, and will put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None, none can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burn offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, you did not require. And then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. And later on, verse 16 of that chapter, but may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help, my deliverer. You are my God, do not delay. And so what we can carry with us in this process of waiting is to instead of just waiting for the answer, to work while we wait, to take advantage of the waiting process. The first thing that happens is that we can have the goal of growing in our trust in God. If we don't trust God because he doesn't do what and when and where and how, we're probably not going to grow very much unless we learn patience. Um, Psalm thirty-three twenty says, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord. We put our hope in you. The other thing we can grow in is we can grow in our ability to be like Christ. Ask this question. How patient was Jesus with this band of misfits 
and goofballs that kept getting it wrong, even though he taught them for three years? How patient was he with all of that? How patient was he with all the questioning and the criticism that he got and the judgment that he got from others? Colossians 1.10 says, We are praying this so that you can live lives that are worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way by producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened through his glorious might so that you might endure everything and have patience. We can grow in our service and in our witness. We can grow in our ability to endure the storms of life. Instead of floundering emotionally, spiritually, and financially, we can indeed be who we're called to be, a people of strength. So we can grow in our ability to look at the needs of others and to be able to serve others. And we can grow in our thankfulness and joy. Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring all of your requests to God in your prayers and petitions, along with giving thanks. And that is the, the important calling. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Promised to those who love him. What's interesting about faith is the incredible way in which it offers us an opportunity to grow. The great Australian psychiatrist, Viktor Frankl, has written extensively since World War II on the relation of the meaning of life as related to the whole structure of personality. It is his thinking that the need to find meaning in our life is more basic to a human being than pleasure, power, or anything else. And the thing that he keeps repeating is that if a person has a why to live for, they can endure any how. However, if why is lacking, then the person's whole life eventually collapses. His thinking on this matter was developed by the number of years in a German concentration camp. We all know clearly how brutal and harsh that very disturbing genocide era was. And to think about all of the stories that come out of there. You know what Frankel's observation was? He said the prisoners were forced to work hard with little food, clothing, and shelter. Frankel began to notice how some didn't last long under those conditions. But he said, yet others were filled with hope and survived. And he began to use his tools as a psychiatrist. In the evening, he would go around and he would interview just dozens and dozens of the prisoners in the camp. Um, and he said that the prisoners who had something to look forward to, an objective that gave them something to live for, were able to mobilize greater strength needed to live in the conditions they were dealing with. 
he noted that one person had a child who was mentally disabled and had been in that condition all their life. And their motivation was reported to say, I have to survive this for that person. And my question this morning is, are we willing to be a people of the weight, of the entwinement? Are we willing to do that because it actually does empower us with the ability and the motivation to live for God and to, and to live in a way that serves other people? That sense of trust, that sense of purpose, that sense of ability uh, to be able to, uh, to, to continue to endure whatever it is. I like and close with this story of simple trust. And that really ultimately is what God wants more than anything is for us. In the middle of all of the rubble, in the middle of anticipating a rebuilding of the temple walls of our heart and our minds, in the middle of all of that, are we willing to wait? There was a family that was vacationing one summer. The dad had been messing around with his boathouse. Two of his sons, a 12-year-old and a 3-year-old, were down playing along the dock. The 12-year-old was supposed to be watching the 3-year-old. And um, they, uh, and all of a sudden, um, there was uh, a, a scream from the 12-year-old. And... The dad came running from the boathouse and here the, the three-year-old had gone into the water and he jumped into the water and he swam down but was unable to see anything. He came up for air and went down again. He was sick with panic. He went down into the murky water and he began to feel around everywhere. He couldn't feel anything. Finally, on his way back up, he felt Billy's arms they were locked around the post that supported the dock underwater. And he got his hands loose and took him up and they came up for air and, and, and were okay, sputtering a bit. And finally, after making sure everybody was okay and calmed down a bit, the father asked his son, he said, what on earth were you doing down there hanging on to the post so far underwater? And Billy answered as only a three-year-old can. He said, I was just waiting for you, Dad. Just waiting for you. Are we trusting that God will come? and minister to our hearts, our minds, our bodies, minister to our condition, minister to us. I'm not saying any father is ever going to suggest that is the right way to do it. But there is something powerful about a three-year-old son and his best understanding to just say, I was waiting for you to come get me, Dad. That's the kind of trust and entwinement that we're called to. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. May we wait upon the Lord in this season and always. Amen.